I believe that unless we think about ourselves as a country in 2027, not even 2017, let alone 1817, which is how I sometimes think we reimagine ourselves, then I really feel anxious for the future of people in this country. And I don't say that in a grand way, but you know, from every angle, we, we know that we have a profound skills issue. I'm delighted to be joined by Martha Lane Fox, Baroness Lane. Please, official titles only. Absolutely. Um, I'm hoping that we can explore a bit today the societal impact of the digital revolution. What do you think its impact has been so far? Easy, easy question. <laughs> well, you know, I think about this from two angles, really. The naturally positive MLF uh, finds it easy to think of a whole spectrum of things that have dramatically improved a huge number of people's lives you know from the micro to looking at a map on your phone to be able to get somewhere more easily to being able to order things much more effectively if you're an older person stuck at home and things can arrive to your door through to you know having the ability to track what your health is doing in the palm of your hand through to you know picking the best schools for your kids by looking on the internet and getting information so you know from every bit of our lives you can pick a huge benefit that we've gained from having the internet embedded in our, often just our pockets. The negative part to me is, you know, firstly, there are still a huge number of people for whom this is just a complete anathema because they don't have access to the internet or they cannot use it or they can't afford it or they quite literally just don't even have a connection anywhere near them. So um, in this country, the numbers are improving, but there are still 10 million adults who cannot do five or six basic things online, search for information, complete a transaction. And there are still a huge number who have very, very substandard internet connections, something that you know a little bit about. Tiny bit. Um, and I sometimes think we get slightly wrapped up, or I do in my own head, in this kind of whirling pace of the internet revolution when if you look at the global level, there are still over 2 billion, 3 billion people who don't use the internet regularly. That's a huge percentage of the planet. And why should we care that people aren't online? If they're living their lives happily, why yeah. should we be bothering trying to force them to tweet? I, we definitely shouldn't be forcing them to tweet, <laughs> and I say that as a director of Twitter. Um, I think it matters for uh, two or three reasons, but the most important is we know that if you are able to use the internet, then your life chances, particularly for the poorest communities, do improve. It's not the whole world is going to suddenly be better. You're not suddenly going to have X millions percent more money or no um, housing issue, whatever it might be. But in a world where 90% of new jobs are only advertised online, if you're unemployed and don't have the skills to use the internet, how are you going to have the best chance to find a job? We also know that even the poorest families in the UK save £100 a year, £107 a year to be exact, because the internet saves you money either for searching um, on cheap energy deals or for searching on um, travel or for buying things more cheaply. So that's two quite compelling reasons why we should be helping particularly the most vulnerable communities. But, you know, I say this as someone that has started tech businesses and worked on tech and government. I don't believe the internet is the answer. You know, it's not the be-all and end-all. But I think there are now so many more um, things that we are able to do more efficiently and effectively by being online that it's just not fair to assume when you have those skills that no one else really needs to worry about getting them. So you've talked before in other forums about the importance of having a fair internet, um, making sure that the internet is fairer. Is it fair today? And if not, why not? No, it's not fair today. And I'm, again, not a kind of techno-utopian or sort of 
unrealistic person. I think fairness is a complicated concept, and you know what does it mean really? But I think you can pin a few things on uh, where we're at in the internet's genesis. That if you can try and strive to make it more fair in the future, we have a better uh, global community of people. And by those things, I think firstly making sure everyone however poor their community, has equal access to information, cost savings, you know, some of the fun and joy that we also find online, whether it's streaming amazing content or being able to talk to people that you've never met before in other countries. So that, to me, is, is an issue of fairness. Secondarily, right now, I think the power that um, is held by a very small number of gatekeepers to our internet experience is unfair on the majority of people that use the internet. You know, I started my business, lastminute.com, in 1997. We never imagined that 20 years later, basically six companies would own people's web and internet experiences. So, you know, it's, that to me is, is alarming because that is a huge concentration of power and not only um, a very small number of people's hands, but a very small number of people that all look very similar and come from a very small area of the world. And is it really concentrated? Yes. So those it of us really that is. buy lots of things, talk to lots of people on different platforms, is it really the, the platforms that control what we do? Yes, I absolutely believe it is. I think Why? that if you look at the flow of money around the internet, the advertising revenues, which fuel, unfortunately, the majority of the experience on the internet because it leads to a particular set of behaviours, 90% of that revenue flows to um, two companies, Google and Facebook. That strikes me as... A strange balance of power in a network system where you've got the potential for this redistributive effect of um, different ways of um, economic models. And secondarily, I think that the gatekeeper relationship that the platform companies have built with us as users is very different, certainly what I imagine might happen in 1997. So, you know, Facebook, love it or loathe it, if you are on Facebook, you are encouraged not to explore the broader internet. They want to keep you on their own platform. So they are bringing things into your purview, whether it's the news, whether it's um, messaging apps, whether it's WhatsApp, whatever it might be. Shopping. Shopping, exactly. So they are closing down your experience of the internet because that's in Facebook's interests. And I find what I love about the web is the broadness, not the shrunken nature. And I find that is an unfair representation of the capacity we have through bolder network thinking. But isn't the market sorting that out? If you ask most 13, 14, 15 year olds, they're not using Facebook, they're They're using Snapchat now. They may be, but uh, if you look again at where the distribution of the money is and the flow of money, Snapchat possibly, although Snapchat's findings have got its own challenging usage numbers at the minute, if you look at what Facebook has done, it's bought WhatsApp, bought Instagram, Mm -hmm. building its power base by sucking up the threats to it. And if you look at what Google is doing, you know, clearly Google might be imagining a future where it doesn't get all of its revenue in the way it's had in the past. So what is Google doing? It's investing very heavily in autonomous vehicles. It's investing very heavily in um, ways of building networks in very rural bits of Africa. So, And why is that bad? I don't think it's bad that they are doing interesting and diverse things, but I think that these are monopolies. I think that um, the nature of how they have built their business is so um, has been so fast and has allowed such a concentration of power in such a short space of time that it feels kind of inevitable to me that we're going to have to put more scrutiny on those businesses and look at how we as consumers as citizens as users want to interrelate and react so I would 
imagine that in another 20 years' time it will look different. I can't predict quite how, but I think it will. And do you think we need different institutions to address the platform power, or is this about just competition authorities around the world doing their jobs? I, you know, this is one of the nubs of the argument, isn't it, because it's very hard to regulate global businesses. Mm. And uh, you know, if you look at how things shifted in the uh, beginnings of the railroads, you know, it's still a very contained time when they broke up monopolies or yes. telecoms. You know, it's still right. contained. The inter the um, interrelationship between countries and borders was much, much less complicated than clearly it is in the internet age. So, so either, how do we address well, that? Either we need some new institutions, to your yeah. point, or we really have to bolster and encourage the ones we have to do their job. So, you know, the UN could the UN be doing more? Should yeah. it be convening? I've talked before about. A, um, Geneva Convention for the Digital Age. Yeah. You know, is that something the UN could drive, or is it something that a collection of countries need to come together and try and do? Or, or are there new institutions and organisations that we need? You know, I love new things, but I also think you don't want to break all the other things. You want to be able to give them the resilience and the skills to manage and have the teeth to be able to do this themselves, perhaps. So what you're really talking about is how do you create a different regulatory framework on a global basis for these mega platforms? Yes. How do we go about doing that? Well, you know, I think it has to be a kind of triangular process of uh, um, attrition, if you like, from all sides. I think that... You can see what the EU have done recently in relation to Google. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with some of the ways they've gone after some of the bits of Google, but I think the macro point that we need to think carefully about our relationship with that one particular platform is right. And I'm sure Google itself knows that it feels inevitable that somewhere down the chain something's going to shift in how it is allowed to structure itself in Europe. Is then how do you ladder that up to be relevant across the whole world? And the bit that I think is really important to add in is how we as users and as citizens also campaign and use our own weight and power to ask for the change as well. And we have to remember that we are the product for a lot of these services, right? If you don't give your data to Facebook, they don't have a business model. If you don't choose to use Google, they don't have a business model. So we do have more power than we think. It's just often quite hard to work out what that is. So I think if you can combine local activism campaigns in the media, encouraging users to use their own cloud, and encouraging policymakers and elected officials to see that that's important and um, you know, listen to what people are, are telling them, then I feel confident that we can make shifts in this stuff.